Welcome to episode 10 of Hosted Payload, the satellite and space law podcast. From the Wiley Law Firm in Washington, D.C., I'm Henry Gola. What if is not just a terrible song by Creed and the start of every Wild Kratz episode, it's also a tried and true Hollywood genre. What if George Bailey never lived, asks It's a Wonderful Life. What if Gwyneth Paltrow does or doesn't get on that train, asks Sliding Doors. On the Apple TV Plus show for all mankind, it's what if the U.S. lost the race to the moon. Janine Poltronieri of the FCC's Space Bureau joins the podcast to examine the good, the bad, and the dangerous of season one of this alternate history show. But first, Chloe Hawker brings holiday cheer and the latest news updates on the Orbital Debrief. All right, welcome in to the Orbital Debrief portion of our holiday program. Chloe, thanks for joining us. How are you? Any exciting holiday plans? Yeah, I'm uh, headed back to Colorado for the holidays tonight. I'm looking forward to spending some time with my family. They live out near the Rockies. And like the nitty gritty dirt band said, the closest thing to heaven on this planet anywhere is a quiet Christmas morning in the Colorado snow. What about you? Quoting the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. That's uh, that's something. I knew Fishing in the Dark, but I didn't know much else. I actually, I looked this them. This is the up. only song of theirs I know. Well, what song? That's not Fishing in the Dark, I'm guessing, or is that? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. All right. It's uh, Rocky Mountain Christmas. Something okay. Like okay. Cool. Uh, I'll look for that one on uh, on Sirius XM. So uh, no, nothing. No travel this year. I may. Uh, may go skiing or something but uh, nothing nothing crazy so um Ooh, skiing sounds great yes I, uh, yes <laughs> i guess i did forget to mention my least popular holiday plans which i try to avoid mariah carey at all costs oh not not your favorite <laughs> holiday singer huh what, what what is your favorite holiday song oh that's such a hard question i really like there's a version of uh Oh Holy Night from the New Orleans jazz band that was on Studio 60 in the Sunset Strip on their holiday episode. Okay. They flew in a bunch of misplaced, or uh, rather displaced Katrina musicians, um, and it was really fabulous, so highly recommend. Oh, well, I, I just like the Wham song, all, uh, uh, Last Last Christmas, <laughs> so I mean, I actually enjoy that song, so any, anyway. So it's a good season for you, then. I, I love it. You no shortage of that song and covers taylor swift does it uh yeah yeah lots of covers (laughs) well all i have to say to mariah carey is all i want for christmas is space news henry all right don't we all so what's going on in space news this month uh well ntia recently released its national spectrum strategy which details the administration's spectrum policy and objectives to support both federal and non-federal spectrum use, including the spectrum bands it has identified for study for expanded or alternative use. All right. So what should the space industry know about this strategy? Well, there were two bands that they identified that are relevant to the space industry. First is the 7215 to 8400 megahertz band, known as the X-band, And that's been identified for study for wireless broadband use. So the upper portion of that band, which is from 8025 to 8400 megahertz, is used by both federal and non-federal Earth exploration satellite services. The second band of interest is 18.1 to 18.6 gigahertz, which will be studied for expanded satellite operations, including inter-satellite links. 
NTIA requested comment on the implementation of the strategy, and those comments are due January 2nd. January 2nd, 2024. Get used to saying that. All right. Item number two, what's up? Uh, Next, we have some sad news on the launch front. Mm. Uh, Three of the five satellites that Momentus supported on SpaceX's Transporter 9 launch earlier this month reportedly failed to deploy. Oh, bad news there. Uh, What happened? Well, the investigation is still ongoing, but Momentus has said it thinks its third-party deployer system failed to release the three satellites. The satellites included Earth observation satellites for Poland's SatRev and South Korea's Contact, and a prototype satellite for Lunasond. It's bad luck uh, for those operators. Yeah, it's a bummer, especially for SatRev. They also had a satellite on a Virgin Orbit launch that failed this year. Mm. So they're, they're having a little bit of a rough year. But uh, luckily, two of the satellites, both for Hello Space, did successfully deploy. Space is hard. Always a good reminder. <laughs> Anything else happening this month as we wind down 2023? You want to talk about lasers in space? Of course I want to talk about lasers in space. <laughs> Tell me about them. So not sci-fi, shockingly. Some real lasers in space. NASA recently sent its first transmission to Earth from the Deep Space Optical Communications Experiment. Uh, The transmission was a communication via laser, more professionally known as optical communications, and NASA achieved first light or first successful transmission. I will be calling all my successful phone calls first light from now on. Of course. Why wouldn't you? So, you know, we know some commercial operators use optical communication. So why why are these types of communications important for the space industry? Besides the fact that lasers are cool. (laughs) Right. They're obviously very cool. They're also super useful. Optical communications have much higher frequencies than the radio uh, frequencies usually used to communicate, which means they can carry a lot more information over the same amount of time. Plus, RF communications from deep space rely on NASA's deep space network antennas in Australia, California, and Spain, and this network has limited capacity. Okay, so optical communications could send more data and relieve some of the congestion of traditional radio frequency transmissions. Right, exactly. Optical communications can have serious benefits for future deep space missions, especially as the number of these missions multiplies. Uh, The DSOC's first light broke the distance record for optical communications, sending its transmission from almost 10 million miles away. And it's going to continue testing from greater and greater distances. The experiment will try to send optical communications as far as 240 million miles, which is more than two and a half times the distance between the Earth and the Sun. Now, would that be far enough from Mariah Carey for you? Never, never far enough. (laughs) All right, there you have it. Chloe hates Mariah Carey. (laughs) Just that song. I don't really hate Mariah Carey. (laughs) Chloe, thank you and happy holidays. Yeah, you too, Henry. Thanks. Welcome back to Hosted Payload. Joining me for this episode is Janine Poltronieri, the Deputy Chief of the Satellite Programs and Policy Division at the FCC's Space Bureau. Janine, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to have you on. I have to say you were the first guest to email me to be a guest. So that is outstanding. It uh, really shows wait, wait, the... Wait, wait, wait. I didn't... Wait, let's correct the record right there. I didn't <laughs> email you to be a guest. I emailed you to talk about this show. That's right. That, you know, I that, suggested that, that's this true. is a topic. You're right. You, su- you quite properly took the bait and <laughs> suggested that I be the guest. So... <laughs> 
You, that is you, abs absolutely true. Obviously very good at your job because you understood I was signaling something. Well, much like the show we're about to talk about, I was giving an alternate history of what occurred <laughs> there. So uh, today we're discussing season one of the Apple TV Plus show for all mankind. Debuting in 2019 for all mankind begins in 1969 and quickly reveals itself to depict an alternate history with the Soviet Union landing the first person and then the first woman on the moon. So with a mix of actual historical figures and fictional characters, the show asks, what if the U.S.-Russia space race never ended? Season one focuses on both the U.S. and Russia establishing lunar bases. It scored a 65 on Metacritic with generally favorable reviews. So Janine, in FCC parlance, for all mankind, season one, comments in support or petition to deny? Comments in support all the way. Tell me why. Well, a, a lot of things. First of all, I'm a little bit fascinated with this whole category of alt history. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is very interesting. And, you know, I, I worry a little bit, though, about people watching certain alt history programs and then thinking that's what really happened right, <laughs> right like sure. I, that, that's that's one of my my fears for my fears for democracy is that there's all this alt history out there and in this time of alternative facts and fake news um it kind of it it you have to be very careful i think when when you're gonna uh when you're going to embark on a, an alternative history piece of art. And I I do like the way they did it with this series. Um, I know they have a lot of bonus content. And I noticed between seasons three and four, they even explain what was happening in the show. But then also there's a little bit of what happened in the world mm -hmm. in, you know, in fact. So I, I think it's really interesting from that standpoint. One of the reasons I think it works uh, was right in the in the pilot and in the first episode of the whole series, because, you know, the, the movie we just did was First Man. And in that movie, you know that Neil Armstrong is going to land on the moon here. Um, the Russians land on the moon first and then Neil Armstrong is up for his mission. And I found that there was like genuine tension as to what else is this show going to change? Is Neil Armstrong actually going to land on the moon in this show? And he does, but I feel like it ramps up the drama because you truly do not know what is going to happen and what's going to happen next. Right. The The first episode is really um, gripping because it starts at that moment when everyone stops what they're doing. If they're driving in the car and they're listening to the radio, if they're at a, if they're at a pub, they're watching the TV. Everyone's just gripped trying to trying to see what's going to happen when this first man on the moon, um, you know, embarks on the moon. Are they, you know, are they going to make it? And then we find out that it isn't an American, that it's a Soviet. And the first um, flag planted on the moon is the Soviet flag. And I believe that first episode is called Red Moon. Mm -hmm. And that incident sets off a trajectory of history that is not you know is not what really happened um and is somewhat fascinating do you think that's i mean that's you know you're right i mean that that's that changes the trajectory of history what else what other events on the show were were memorable to you that they changed that were altered 
Um, so there were a lot of big ones. One, so every now and then on the, so there's some big events during the plot that obviously are important, but there's, there's also some minor events in the background that are kind of funny um, or interesting, like uh, Ted Kennedy cancels his trip to Chappaquiddick. Right. And so he doesn't go to Chappaquiddick and he runs to be president. He pardons Richard Nixon for Watergate crimes. Right. And then there's a scandal during his presidency because he has an affair during his presidency. So yes. that's so that's one of the sort of um, kind of interesting little events almost. But in terms of our characters, the big moments that are important is with this first man on the moon and then the Soviets getting the first woman on the moon, they decide to go ahead and reinvigorate the space program for women, U.S. female astronauts. Um, and I actually didn't know that there had been a program, but after I watched the show, I found out that there had been a program. Um, and I believe it was called the Mercury 13. Um, and some of the women in the show are based on those astronauts who were in that actual real life program that then got canceled. They basically had no opportunities, even though at least one of them was able to pass all of the requisite training. Um, in our story, we see a push for a group of women to become astronauts. And they're called Nixon's women. And there's a group of them and a number of them go on and um, go to the moon and do other great things. And this has all these follow on effects in society right. that uh, allows for things that we still haven't seen today. So um, the Equal Rights Amendment passes, right. which still hasn't today. We still haven't had a, a woman on the moon. As a matter of fact, the only people who have been on the moon are white American males. Um, and I think a lot of that's going to change with the Artemis. Um, that's right. Artemis launches coming up. We have a woman. We have a person of color. We have a Canadian. Um, so it's interesting to think about would this change in the space race where the U.S promoted women to go to the moon and beyond and to have leadership roles there, would it have had such a great effect throughout society um, as is portrayed in the, in for all mankind? Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting question. And I thought about that too, um, because it does have an outsized impact. And it's, it's, you know, one of the things to think about in this show is how important the space race was in the national consciousness in the late 60s and early 70s and you know i think it, today we kind of have a hard time thinking about that with how dispersed media is and how there's not really you know a giant event that everyone is paying attention to do, other than maybe the presidential election you know for six months every four years but other than like sporting events, that's the only thing I could think of that like draws a worldwide audience on par with this, like the World Cup or the Super Bowl. But those are certainly, you know, while they're great feats of athleticism and we enjoy watching them, it's it's different than than something like a like a like the moon landing and the and the space race. So it's kind of hard. I guess my my long-winding point here is it's kind of hard to fathom that something was that important that it could have such an outsized outsized effect. Did did you believe it? Did did you think that it was realistic that the space program would have such an outsized outsized 
effect on society and changing views of women uh, as it did in the show? I did not. No, I thought <laughs> I, I, I had a hard time buying it. I mean, I don't want to have uh, spoilers for further seasons, but there's some there's some other um, accomplishments that women make further down that um, further along that women still haven't made. Um, and there's also accomplishments for um, people who are gay, African-Americans, all taking place in the 60s. And I didn't quite believe it. Um, but it's nice, you know, it's a nice alternative history to think about that what would have been seemingly a failure by the United States to not reach the moon first ended up having these other follow-on effects that were actually beneficial to the United States in terms of our society, in terms of our society. Right. Um, it, it does that. And it, it also sort of like fast forwards, um, a lot of what has slowly happened or yet to happen into a very compressed timeline. Werner von Braun was an interesting, you know, subplot here. You know, it wasn't found out until after he died, I believe, that he was involved in the in the Nazi party, uh, at least that wasn't publicized. And here it's a major plot point in episode two, right? That it's, you know, he was, he's, uh, he's uh, doing a congressional hearing and he's outed after, you know, he didn't take the blame for why the U.S. wasn't the first to the moon um so it, yeah that that and and the you know the, the women's rights issues sort of get compressed here and it's like what would happen if everybody thought about these all at once and were forced to think about them all at once um in this show so of course the show focuses on the space race between the u.s and russia um but in reality you know russia's interest in the moon sort of waned after neil armstrong landed on the moon so what What's different here when the Soviets land first and why does the show still work, you think? Well, I think it's interesting because it's almost, it reminds me of that um, old car commercial, old rental car commercial where they said, we're number two, we try harder. Um, and I feel like the show tried to convince us that because the US was number two on the moon, we then kind of doubled down in terms of our exploration on the moon, in terms of establishing a base on the moon right. in terms of exploring the moon for lunar ice, all these things that, you know, quite frankly, um, the U.S. kind of lost interest in the moon after yeah. we landed there, right? So it was sort of like check the box and done uh, in real life. And part of that, I think, may have had to do with the Vietnam War and the amount of um, resources that was taking at the time. But mm -hmm. um, in in our in our show, the U.S. doubles down, goes up to the moon, sets up a base, and just keeps building on that. Right. And has right. you know, has a lot of um, has a lot of interesting developments up there. Yeah, I mean, the, the U.S. was you know we're used to the 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 theory that the U.S. is number one, right? And it was right. in the moon landing, and here the show it flips it in that the u.s is the sort of the plucky underdog right and i think right. it gives you gives you a rooting interest uh, almost um with the big bad soviet union um who's your favorite character in season one is it one of the historical characters is it one of the composite characters i mean i think um molly cobb who is um based on a true character is probably yeah. my favorite character 
although her husband is probably the person I identify with the most. <laughs> um, he's, you know, not in this, he's not, he's not an astronaut. He's not, not involved in space at all. He's sort of sitting over on the sidelines, supporting her and, um, you know, being very anxious about the whole thing. And they have a little bit of an unconventional life, I think, especially judged against the lives that astronauts were supposed to leave it lead at that time. Right. Um, so, yeah, I like both of them. I thought the husband, it almost seemed like they were in a, like a, the writer's room and you could say like, what, who should we do? What do you think about the husband? And I think they just said like, give me David Crosby, right? That's what they said. That's basically. It's basically what he looks yeah, yeah. like. Um, he's kind of acts like what he would be if he was an artist, uh, you know, like a painter. Um, but yeah, he's almost like um, uh, someone, you know. I, and and that was that was definitely the I would say the counterculture back then, and maybe maybe even a lot of the culture. But it's almost like you know his character. I would say is more in line with a lot of values today in some respects he's sort of yeah. um you know has you know evolved theories on like you know talking about things and expressing yourself and um you know un un unloading your grief and you know um and 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 just a different way of going about things that provided a good juxtaposition on the show for sure if you've read any of the background on how astronauts families were expected to behave during those uh, early years of the space race. It's, you know, quite different than um, I think even what is portrayed on the show. I mean, you get a little hint of it at the beginning of the of the, of the show and as the trajectory it loosens up, but certainly there was a lot of pressure on these families to act as the perfect white American middle-class families. And, you know, people, there were people whose marriages were falling apart and they weren't allowed to divorce. And the, yeah. the conventional wisdom was, you know, you had to have a, for an astronaut to go into space for the U.S., they had to have a ring, they had to have a family. Um, their wives were supposed to behave a certain way, dress a certain way. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that the show does that is interesting is that it shows the toll on the spouses and the children of these astronauts, because it's, you know, the astronauts who are getting all the glamour, but it's the families who are really being um, put upon not only to act a certain way in public, but just the personal cost of not knowing, you know, really not knowing if the person that they love is going to be able to return. You know, what are they going to be like when they return? And that single mindedness that you have to have, I think, to be an astronaut um, and what cost that entails on their families. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the show spends three or four, maybe even five episodes with with Ed Baldwin on the lunar base on the moon. And, you know, a big part of the second half of the season is exploring, like you said, it's it's how is he coping with being on the moon um, for that long? Some of it with two other, you know, astronauts, some of it by himself. And then how is his family coping with him being away for, for that long? And it ends tragically on, on the show. Um, and, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting it's it, it, one of the the most interesting parts to me was when um, Karen, his wife, you know, had to decide whether to tell him about what had happened to his son on Earth and 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 doesn't. What did you think of that scene? And I thought she did the right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I can't imagine the situation though. It would be right. so 
people. I mean, this it's the worst situation you could imagine. Yeah. And um just a very moving scene, uh, you know, to have these two people co communicating via screens and not really um the whole truth not being told about some some very devastating information. Yeah, absolutely. Grief and loneliness, a common thread in space movies and definitely in season one of the show and sacrifice, right? Because that's what that was about, too, is about, you know, I, I want to tell my husband what happened, but I think for the basically for the greater good, I'm not going to. So that was uh, that was something. Any other things that you wanted to point out or discuss? I've kept you for about 20 minutes already, so. But we have 10 hours to discuss, so, of television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I did really like how in the in the later seasons, and I don't think they did this in the first, for, in the early seasons, but maybe they did and I missed it. I did really like how they gave an explanation of what happened on the show and then also in the real world. Okay. Because I, um, you know, some of this alt history gets a little bit, confusing for people i think i think the closer it is to what really happened the more likely people are to be confused and not know the details right and this one really has a lot of details woven into it that are true and then some that are clearly not so um i think that to the extent that they can provide more bonus material that does that that's helpful yeah, sure. No, yeah, it there were there was not that in season one. At least at least what I saw watching it uh, over the past couple of days, it was uh, it was definitely a lot of winks and nods, like you said. You know, the the Ted Kennedy runs for president, wins wins the presidency, um, the things that were happening politically in the background. You know, sort of Nixon's character and what he was saying on the phone. You know, there was a lot of like there was a lot of cheeky things that that were funny. But yeah, you're right. Like, uh, you know, Reagan starting the first CPAC conference in about 74, 75, they sneak that in. Um, there were, you're right though. I, there's a lot, if you're watching it as, as a historical drama and don't know that it's fiction, uh, it certainly could be confusing, so. Yeah, I don't remember if it was season one, but there's one, I think there's a few references to John Lennon and that he didn't get shot. I think they arrested, um, his assassin prior to his his assassin prior in the yeah. film, they that guy gets arrested before he can kill John Lennon, and then uh, throughout the show you hear little little um, sound bites: John Lennon doing another peace conference, John Lennon doing a concert for peace, that sort of thing, um, and that's a little bit bittersweet, right? Yeah, of course it is, right? I mean, it's uh, that's that's probably a, a little bit of the fun and of writing the show is it's you could do a little bit of wishful thinking about what would, right. what might have been right right so right well janine you said it all thank you very much for uh for joining this this latest episode of hosted payload thank you for having me and all we right. have many more seasons to go that's right that's right i will see you next december for season two so okay sounds good <laughs> See you on Mars. Happy holidays from Hosted Payload. Thanks to Janine and Chloe for joining. For all your satellite and space law needs, visit Wiley.law. Search TMT, space, or satellite. I'm Henry Gola. <laughs>